as we work our way through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Sunday, don't miss, we are going to go through the thousand-year reign of Christ. And so we already learned on Sunday about uh, riding a horse, so we'll be back on planet Earth. Tonight, Psalm 31 through 34. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let, let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness and bow down your ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be my rock and my refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your servant David, Lord, for his life. Lord, his heart as a young man defeating giants, living in the wilderness on the run. Then, Lord, later on as king and seeing his failure but his great triumphs as well. Lord, that you would speak to us through his heart, a man after God's own heart. So, Lord, thank you for our time. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but uh, through the Psalms, at least this time, uh, I now can't wait to get to Wednesday night. Because even in that short amount of time between Sunday and Wednesday, it has already been bananas, yes? And uh, I have got to start protecting my heart better, and I would... would, uh, suggest that everyone else does that because we can get really jaded really easy right now angry at all kinds of things and all kinds of groups and lord why is this going on why are you letting evil i mean all of these things that david says but then to hear the comfort as we will hear tonight through it it it, it literally is rejoicing by the time that we end tonight isn't that good news so whatever your already week has been these three short days already, uh, Lord, we need you. Boy, I mean, think about that. We, Lord, we just need you. And we want to seek your face like your servant David did. Listen to what he says in verse 1. In you, Lord, I put my trust. He did not put his trust in anything else. But listen to what he says here. He says, in you I put my trust, and let me never be ashamed. Ashamed of what? I pose to you that he often thought, well, I'm not putting my trust in God. So, Lord, don't let me be ashamed of not putting my trust in you. We often put our trust, amen, in a lot of things. uh, Our government tells them to trust them above all else, above common sense. uh, That'll be the last thing I say tonight. Come on, man. Someone reminded me on Sunday that I did not say that, and I was hurt. (laughs) I have blown my winning streak. Notice that he says that. Listen, I, 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 I need to hear that. If nothing else, if we just, that's it. Let's go home. I put my trust in you. David could put his trust in a lot of things, could he not? As king, he could certainly put his trust, like his son did, in horses and chariots and wives and coin and all kinds of luxuries. 
But he said, I put my trust in you and let me never be ashamed. Deliver me, please note with me, in your righteousness. Not in his, in your righteousness, Lord. You are the one who delivers me. You ultimately are the one who gives me salvation that I put my trust in you. Amen. Isn't this wonderful to know that we do not have, and every other religious system on planet earth is works-based. Everybody got that? You have to work your way. Now, sadly, a lot in the church also believe this rubbish, that you have to work your way. God cannot love you any more or any less. Isn't that wonderful? No matter what you have done to this point or what you will do in the future, God cannot love you any more or any less. So why do we try to, oh, I'm just going to be the best Christian this week? No, you're not, because you're going to get... You're going to get on 501. And that's it. <laughs> or you're going to turn on the news and you're like, that's it, another press conference. Something is going to, and you try. Let me ask you this. How many of you have been in this cycle of, of living that life where you thought that you had to prove that to God? And then you failed. And you said, I'm going to do it better next time. And then you did it. And then it only did a couple of days. And then you failed, and you're on this treadmill in this cycle. And then you realize, listen, Lord, it's all about you and what you have done. And the peace, as we will see, that David tells us in that. What great freedom in knowing that it is his righteousness. He says, listen, he says in verse 2, Lord, listen to me, please. How many of you have cried that lately? Lord, are you there? Did you take 2020 off? Were you on vacation? Bow down your ear to me and deliver me speedily. Be my rock and my fortress and my refuge, a defense to save me. Again, David's on the run. He's been on the run for over 20 years. That has got to be tiring and frustrating. And Lord, you know that I am king. I was anointed as a young boy to be king. What's going on? Your plan is not working out like I thought it was supposed to work out. We all know that. We can all say the same thing. He says, for you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Again, getting to the place where he is doing the work, not us. Lord, you guide me. You direct me. Because I know if I do it, we're going to be on some adventure that we probably both should not be on. Pull me out of the net, which they have secretly laid for me, for you are my strength. And into your hand I commit my spirit, and you have redeemed me, O Lord God, of truth. It's interesting. Obviously, verse 5, very well known. Uh, Jesus prays this on the cross, does he not? Into your hands I commit my spirit. Stephen says this as well. But David says it in this way He says, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Everything that I have, Lord, I give unto you. And so you do with my life what you think is best. That is total surrender. Anyone there yet? <laughs> nope. Sounds good, doesn't it? It's hard to get there. We're trying. 
Lord, you have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. He said, I've hated those who regarded useless idols, but I trust in the Lord. David had this hatred for the things of the world. He didn't want to bring them into his own life, and specifically the worship of of foreign gods. Guys, this is a wonderful prayer for us as believers, not bringing in that worldly idea into our life. On, on, On Sunday morning, we're going to go through the millennial kingdom, but part of the study is a look at church history and the failure of church history, specifically even in our own day of not studying the Old Testament. Do you know the millennial is only mentioned in the chapter that we are studying in the New Testament? It's mentioned everywhere in the Old Testament, but not in the New Testament. So that's why there's so much confusion. But if we would look at the Old Testament to give us the commentary of the New Testament, well, all right. But oftentimes, we in the church, we want to take the things of the world. Listen, you can't teach people Hosea at a church Sunday morning service or Amos or on and on it goes. You can't do that. You got to have this program in this way in these worldly, you can't do that. And and listen to what David says, I'm going to trust in the Lord. I have to tell you, uh, as a as a pastor, as your pastor, um, yes, it's difficult for me to do uh, this job oftentimes, but it's actually quite easy because I know where I'm what I'm doing each week. Each week we're in the Bible and we're going to the next chapter and then the next book and we're going to do that until we hear the trumpet blow. I trust in the Lord. And I trust, and as we're going to see tonight, that his word is alive and it's powerful and it's going to do the, it's going to do the work. Listen, it is not my job to save anybody. Are anybody shocked by that? As a parent, you cannot save your children. All you can do is train them up in the way of the Lord. You can give them a good push. You can give them the right tools to succeed with Christ. You can model that, but you cannot save them. As a youth pastor, I would have uh, any uh, ex-youth pastors in the room. I've had some uh, parents that come to me and they would get angry at me that their kid was not super saved. Isn't this your job? No. I get them two hours a week. How often do you parent get them? Right? Listen, uh, here's a little side inside baseball. That is why the uh, guys like John Dewey, in the beginning of setting up the educational system in our country, they knew that they could brainwash children and kids because they had them more than the parent did. That's why you see the lunatics do what they do. I say let them keep doing TikToks and we just keep firing them. It's amazing the brazen attitude that they have with children today. <laughs> I was looking at a, uh, a mayor, and I forgot what city it was, but the mayor basically said to the enchi- entire um, school board, either you resign or you will be fired, and we're going to bring up criminal charges against you for the use of the books that you have done in the high school. I'm like, I like this guy. What city do you live in? <laughs> we need that today. 
But ultimately, I trust in the Lord for what He is doing and allow His Word to do the work. He said, I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy. For you have considered my trouble, and you have known my soul in adversities. And you have not shut me up in the hands of my enemy. For you have set my feet on a wide, on a wide place. Now, Lord, have mercy on me. For I am in trouble, and my eyes waste away with grief. Yes, my soul and my, the King James old, is my bowels, my, my entire body. Listen, God knows, and David knew in the time in which he was at this issue. Listen, consider my trouble. Lord, you you know what's happening to me. He said, uh, and have not shut me up with the hands of my enemy, and you've made my path uh, wide. But he says, my eyes waste away with grief, and my soul and my everything in me, it, it, I'm, I'm just spent. You've been at that place where you're on your bed. And you're at the end of it. And you don't know where to go from that point. Lord, this is too much for me to take. My enemies or the situation around me is too much. It's too much for me. My, my very body. Listen. Listen what he says in the next. He says, for my life is spent with grief and my years with sign and my strength fails because all of my iniquity and my bones waste away. He, he, he feels it in his entire, not only is his soul, but his body. It's a tough place to be, isn't it? Don't get bummed out because he continues to trust in the Lord and let's see what he does because We're about to rejoice in the Lord in another chapter. He said, I'm a reproach among my enemies, but especially among my neighbors. And I I am repulsive to my acquaintances and those who see me outside flee from me. For I am forgotten like a dead man, out of mind, and I am like a broken vessel. For I hear the slander of many and fear is on every side and why they take counsel together against me they scheme to take my life away but as for me i trust in you o lord i say you are my god and my time is in your hand so deliver me from the hands of my enemy and from those who persecute me we can all hear david's heart we've all been where david has been We have all had somebody stab us in the back, somebody close to us. Listen, when he says, my neighbors, this is his fellow Jews. It's not the Gentiles. This is his own brethren. What did Jesus feel like to be cast aside by his own? He says, my times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Make your face shine upon me and upon your servant and save me for your mercy's sake. And do not let me be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon you. Let the wicked be ashamed and let them be silent to the grave. Oh, amen. 
but we, we have to love our neighbor in the New Testament, don't we? We can't say what David says. It's there. It just can't come out. He says, oh, how great is your goodness. Guys, have you just lately thought about God's goodness, his mercy, where you are today? Can I, can I give you one thing? This is, what, this is what's great about where we are in Revelation. You're living. How many of you have ever said, I wish I would, got to live back in biblical times? Well, no hair dryer. No, no, no. A lot of people, I wish I lived in biblical times. Do you know that you're living in biblical times right now because prophecy is being fulfilled before your very eyes? You're living in a time where most of the church has never been. Since, since John till uh, 1948, the church was not living in Bible prophecy. They were living in biblical times. You and I are living in radical times. We are seeing before. I can't guarantee you anything. You know that. <laughs> I'm not a date setter or anything. But we could very well be it, the last generation. How exciting is that? I mean, the days in which Martin Luther lived in, amazing, right? Here's a guy who stood up, did awesome things. And then on down the road, you just add the people, Charles Spurgeon and, and Moody and all... <laughs> Guys, all of my favorite old dead guys. But um, imagine we get to go up in the air. And then Spurgeon's in heaven like lucky. You see, guys, how great is his goodness? If you're alive today and God has brought you out of the miry pit, how good is God? What did he save you from? He says, did I, I jumped a verse, didn't I? See, let's just shout it out. Uh, let's do 16. No, 18. He says, let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak insolent things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. Again, I look at what they're trying to do to the church today and the silence that they're trying to do, and ultimately, we just let the Lord do with it. We speak up when we need to speak up. We do it in, in, in Christ's love, and then we go from there. He says, Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. And you hide them in a secret place of your presence from the plots of men. And you shall keep them secretly in the pavilion from the strife of tongues. Blessed is the Lord, for he has shown me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I have said in, in my haste, I am cut off from before you. And before your eyes, nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplication when I cried to you. Now, I know nobody in verse 22 has ever said anything in haste. So we should just go on, right? Why is it always when we say something, we try to grab it as it goes out? Hard to reel that back in, isn't it? David knew what it was like to say. Listen to what David says. Listen, 
How many chapters have we done up to this point? Amazing. He's talked about the Lord, his refuge, his strength. I trust in the Lord. All these wonderful things. And then he says, I'm cut off before your eyes. You know what that is? My fellowship is cut off. No, it's not. So you said that in haste. Lord, why don't you love me right now? Lord, what have you done for me today? What have you done for me lately? Why do I have this husband? Why do I have these kids? Why do I have this spouse? Why do I have this issue? Lord, have you forgotten me? We do that in haste as well. Nevertheless, (laughs) you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried to you. Oh, love the Lord, all you saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and he fully repays the proud person. He'll take care of them. And listen, and be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. God gives us courage to live this life, and without the Lord, this would be a... uh, We'll just leave it there. What would we be doing to cope like the world copes? Psalm 32. Psalm 32, Psalm 51, or David's psalms about his failure with Bathsheba, Bathsheba, with Uriah the Hittite, all of that that was going on, his his whole year that he hid that, and then Nathan coming to him at the end. So these psalms are those songs uh, about his uh, repenting and his forgiveness to the Lord. Notice what he says. Blessed, or oh, how happy is he whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Oh, how happy, or blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Listen to what David says about this. He says, happiness is to be forgiven. It's an emotion that defies description. It is a relief of enormous burden lifted. It is of debt counseled. It is a conscience at the rest. Guilt is gone. Warfare is ended. And peace is enjoyed. That's what it's like to be forgiven. And David was forgiven of much. He said, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Transgression is knowing what is wrong and walking over the line. Yes? Don't touch wet paint. Don't walk on the grass. Buddy, I'm an American. I walk on any grass. Other countries don't have these problems. We, we Americans have that, these problems. We willfully transgress that little white sign on the side of the road with numbers on it. Underneath it, it says speed limit. (laughs) We willfully transgress, right? Transgression, knowing what the law says and then doing something other than that, breaking that. That's a transgression. David knew adultery was wrong, did he not? David knew that murder was wrong, and yet he did it anyway. He knew Heidi did 
was wrong, and he transgressed. But he says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Now, sin is trying to do what is right. It is the old King James, old English, uh, to shoot an arrow at the target, and then I missed. And so if you were out in the forest or you were shooting and you missed it, you would say, oh, I sinned. I missed the mark. I was trying to do, and I was trying to hit perfection, but I sinned. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? That condemns every single person on planet Earth because nobody is perfect and nobody hits the mark. So, but it is covered. Now, this is a principle from the Old Testament to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, your sin was covered. So when you went to the temple, right, you had to bring your animal, you'd put your hand on there, the high priest would slit the throat of the animal right there with you, hand on it, right? You're transferring your sin to the animal, blood shed, sin is now covered. It's covered, but it's still there, okay, right? My hand is here, everybody see my hand, and I cover, I kofar, that's in the Hebrew, I cover it, but it's still there, right? Stinks, still there. New Testament now, my sin is forgiven and forgotten. This is the difference. It's no longer there. It's the east is from the west. Now, blessed is the man who the Lord does not impute iniquity or guilt and whose spirit there is no deceit. He said, when I kept silent, why did he keep silent? Because that's what we do when we are trying to hide our sin. Listen to what he says about his sin. We're going to talk a little bit more about this up at men's retreat. He said, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groanings all the day long. In hiding sin, there was a physical effect to his body. Now, not every time uh, I have to lay this all out. Remember uh, when uh, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, uh, Lord, who sinned? Was it his parents or did that guy sin? Because uh, uh, this person had an, um, an illness. And so a Jew thought and was taught, by the way, that if he was in that state, he must have sinned against God. Now, that doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen. In fact, Paul says some of you are getting drunk at the love feast at the potlucks, and God has had to take some of you out. So yes, sometimes there is a penalty on the body for sin. Now think about David's one-year period of time between the time he killed Uriah and then a year later when when Nathan walks into the, the palace. Well, it tells us he did not get a good night's sleep. You see, as a, as a child of God, God doesn't want his kids to sin successfully nor get away with it. What do we do as parents? Would, do we not say to our kids, I know none of you have terrible kids, only Robert does. No, just joking. Brooke's not in here, so I got to say that boldly. What do we say to them? Look, if you blew it, just come tell us immediately. The punishment will be a lot 
less. Right? I mean, I don't even know if I would punish my kid if they ever came to me and said they did something immediately. I would be shocked. I would need oxygen. (laughs) That's how it is. But God's because God loves us so much, he doesn't want us to... God gave David an entire year to repent, and he didn't. And he says, okay, I'm going to send my prophet Nathan. He says, for the day and the night your hand was heavy upon me. David felt God's judgment upon him. He said, my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. He he knew it, but he didn't know it. He knew that there was something wrong, but maybe he couldn't figure out what exactly it was. There was something wrong, was something off with his relationship with God. He couldn't quite put his finger on it. Remember, this is written after Nathan comes to him. So he obviously is putting it together. He says, think about that, Selah. He said, I I acknowledged my sin to who? To you. When Nathan does come to him, he says, to you and to you alone, Lord, have I sinned. And my iniquity I have not hidden. Oh, he did, but now it's revealed. He said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. Note it's a transgression. He knew adultery and murder was wrong. And he says, you have forgiven the iniquity of my sin, Selah. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you. And in the time when you may be found, surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near to him. So, for this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you. Because that God can forgive us of our sin. David says, don't do what I did. Don't go down the year path. Listen, every single week here at Calvary, people are up in the front to pray with you. They are not going to take your sin and what you tell them and then put it on social media. It is so that you can come and talk and get it out. And, man, it will be so freeing when you do it. Or get one of the pastors and I'll sit down and I'll talk to you. You're not going to shock us, trust me. He says, for you are my hiding place, verse 7, and you shall preserve me from trouble, and you shall uh, surround me with songs of deliverance, Selah. And I will, and now listen to verse 8. This is God telling David. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go, and I will guide you with my eye. David, I know that you've done wrong, But listen, if you will just listen to me, I will guide you and I will instruct you in the way that you shall go. He says, don't be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and a bridle, else they will not come near. Don't be like that. Don't be stubborn. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Now, verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Now, why are we doing that in verse 11? 
because all of what he has forgiven us of. Remember, I've, I've said this many a times. I have a, hard pro- I have a big problem with people not singing in church. I, I don't know how they can be silent knowing what God has forgiven you of. David echoes that and says, come on, you got to praise God for what he has done in your life. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Psalm 30, where are we? 33. (laughs) I'm just trying to hit the next arrow. Now listen, he takes this into the next chapter. He says, Rejoice then in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Okay, as a parent, do you not like it when your kid comes up in you and says, thank you, mommy, thank you, daddy, right? You about fall over when they say it. But I love it when it's at the age when you know it's not, they're not a four-year-old or a five-year-old. They're a teenager, right? They've got their own mind. They got their, and now things are different or they're in their 20s and they came back and I'm waiting for this day. I'm waiting for they come back in their 20s and say, dad, you know what? You were, you were right. I need to be sitting down and having oxygen ready at that moment, but it will happen. Well, look, we know what that's like to have praise from our kids, right, in that way. How much more our Heavenly Father? So why not rejoice and sing to our Lord? He says, praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to him with the instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with the shout of joy. So a couple of things there. Notice, just whatever instrument of the day. Do you know at one point in the church, the guitar was uh, known as the devil's music or the drum? It's just new instruments of the day. I'm sure they said that about the organ. In fact, I know they did. They called it bar music. But do you see that word new song? Now, you might think that that's a new song. It is, but it's not. It's singing that song like you've sung it for the first time to the Lord. Because how easy is it to know the old rugged cross? But to sing it in a way that you've sung it for the first time when you were a believer. That's what he's, what are you saying? Oh yes, we are to sing to the Lord all new songs. And we, we sing new songs all the time. We try them out. We see how they're going to, how they're going to work or not work. But to sing to the Lord, not in a way that I just come, there's the words, uh, praise the Lord. When's the teaching going to happen? Guys, do you know for years we used to have people, I don't know if they're still around, but have people that would only come for the teaching? And I would just say, you're missing fellowship with the saints, and you're missing an opportunity to worship the Lord. What does that say about somebody's heart? He says, sing to him a new song. Listen to the worship people who play uh, for the worship teams 
this is just for anybody, do it skillfully. Spend time at it. Don't take it haphazardly. Be serious about it. If that's what God has called you to do, then play skillfully. And I don't know about you, with a shout of joy. I love that. I love how the Lord tells us to, <laughs> to sing with a shout. Why? Because when it's louder, the person next to you who maybe isn't the best of singers can be a little bit more drowned out. <laughs> Hence why we have the volume just a little bit up. It's funny, the booth, the guys in the sound booth know this is our rule of thumb. If we can hear the church, we keep turning it up. <laughs> and I'm telling you, if we, can, if we can hear you, just push it up. Make a joyful shout. He says, for the word of the Lord is what? What you hold in your hand is right. It's true. It's faithful. It's been tested for thousands of years. The book of Isaiah that's sitting in Israel in the Dead Sea Scrolls is 200 years before Christ. Now listen to what the kids in Israel do. Um, by the way, there was some, some really good, and I know I say this all the time, but Jan Markell's program, Understanding the Times, is fabulous on our radio station. Please listen to it every week. She has the most wonderful guest. David Reagan was on the other week, and we have some of his books, and he was talking about the unique things of Israel and how Israel's back in the land. But he was saying something about Hebrew, which I knew but didn't know everything about. Did anyone listen to that episode last week? Okay, a couple of you are saved. But he was saying something that was interesting that I didn't realize. We, we know that Hebrew had gone away and that in Europe there was a mix. It was called Yiddish and then in Spain and the Jews had a, a, like a Yiddish language. But Hebrew for the most part was dead. In fact, he said the rabbis would, would say Hebrew out of the Bible, but they didn't know what they were saying. They were just saying it's like Latin sometime. Uh, we'll leave that alone at another organization. But uh, Ben Yehuda, in the uh, late 1800s, decided that he wanted to make Hebrew the official language of the Jews again, to bring this language back, the biblical language of Hebrew. Now, what's interesting is that what they speak in Israel is the exact language that's in the Bible. Do you know that you and I could never go back and speak Old English? Anybody ever looked at actual Old English from the 800s out of England? They've got S's that look like F's, and you can't even work your way through it. You can't even say it. We can't do that. But Jews in Israel can read the Bible in fact, he said when he was at the Dead Sea Scrolls one time, he saw a young Israeli with a pointer pointing out the, at the uh, um, Isaiah Scroll and reading the Isaiah Scroll from 200 years before Jesus. That is God's word. It's his holy word, and it's right, it's tested, and it's true, and there are no errors in this book. There might be a copyist from here or there, but the word, how it was laid out by the Holy Spirit. You see, that gives you great confidence, doesn't it? 
that our God doesn't change his mind. What if your Bible had, and then every year it was some new edition like the dictionary. They, this, this is different now. God's nature is, oh, wait, that actually happens. We gender neutral God in some Bibles today. Oh, I won't go there. I have little time and little patience. Knock it off. God's word is, and we'll get to that at the end of Revelation. Don't you dare add or take away from God's word. He says, all of his works are done in truth. How many times have we said this over the last couple of months? Everything that God does is what? Right and true. He never does anything wrong. All of his works are done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. And the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. And by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all of the host of them by the breath of his mouth. And he gathers the waters of the seas together in a heap, and he lays the deep in a storehouse. So let all the earth fear the Lord, and let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded it, and it stood fast. For the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing, and he makes the plans of the people of no effect. Every once in a while, this happens in Washington, or at the UN, or at the WHO, or in the European Union. Every once in a while, they get caught what they're doing. By the way, is anyone else shocked that uh, these emails come out and we find out about it? We have a law in our nation that if you work for the government, they have to be kept in a secure place unless you're Hillary Clinton. Sorry, that was too easy. Thank you. We're here all week. It's amazing to me. And then every once in a while, a document gets leaked out. And then we go, I knew it all along. They were, they're corrupt. They're, yes. Every once in a while, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. And he makes the plans of the people of no effect. I'm going to tell you right now, either we will be in heaven or everything will be revealed about this Chinese coronavirus. And it's ultimately where it came from, the plans of it, and what they wanted to do with it. Listen, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. And the plans of his heart to all the generations. So, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people he has chosen of his own inheritance. We become a blessed nation when we choose to have God at the center of our nation. In God we trust, but do we anymore? Well, then we don't expect to be blessed. Maybe you are... Uh, can get outraged like I do when you see Congress standing there on their little steps there in D.C. and they're all at one in unity saying, God bless America, and you know for uh, a fact that they could care less about God or that they are for uh, abortion or you name it. How is God going to bless a nation like that? Let alone your, your speech, but however... <laughs> Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I believe this is just something firm in my heart. 
that the reason why the United States has done what it's done in 200 years, which no other nation has ever done what we have done, is because we founded it upon God. We are not a perfect nation by any stretch of, of means, but we said, you know what? We're going we're gonna to put God and his law at the center of our communities. And when those communities decided to pull away from God, God started to pull away from us. But not his church, amen? So, the Lord looks from heaven and he sees the sons of men. Please note with me that God sees it all. Nobody is getting away with anything. From the place of his dwelling, he looks upon the inhabitants of the earth and he fashions their heart individually and he considers all of their works. Now, no king is saved by the multitude of an army, and a mighty man is not delivered by great strength, and a horse is a vain hope for safety, <laughs> neither shall it, be, uh, it deliver any by its great strength. The idea is if you're trusting in anything other than the Lord, he says, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and on those who hope in mercy. So, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. For our soul waits for the Lord, for he is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. For our heart shall rejoice in him and what he has done. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we have hope in you. Didn't do it. Didn't get to 34 tonight. Look, what has God done in your life already? What has he pulled you out of? David is an amazing example of a failure. <laughs> but someone who did not let failure define the rest of his life. And that he repented of the Lord and the Lord restored him. Oh, he always had the consequences of his sin for the rest of his life. We bear those consequences. In fact, we bear them sometimes on our body. But he was able to say that the Lord heard him in his time of trouble and the Lord restored him. What a beautiful, comforting three psalms we were tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your comfort and your strength as you poured upon King David, we, we ask and we cry to you, Lord, that you would pour it upon us and upon our nation. Lord, that our nation would once again be centered upon the Lord. It just doesn't seem like people want to do that anymore. They just want to live their life without God, without boundaries and common sense and right and wrong. Lord, it looks like we're living in end times, just like your word said. Lord, that you would strengthen the church through these days in which we live. They are not uncommon. Your people have gone through times like this in the past. And Lord, you have delivered them, just as you will deliver us. Let us hold fast to your word, Lord. 
It is your word and your word alone that saves, convicts, strengthens, encourages. And so, Lord, we thank you for our night tonight. We thank you for your love and your mercy that's new every morning. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. Come get us soon, in Jesus' name. Amen.